Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, obviously we're recording on Monday evening. You just wrapped up an interview that will be appearing in the feeds today, later today on Monday. Why don't you give us a little bit of information as to what that is and how you cleared up a question that had been bothering me <laughs> for a few weeks now. So I was really excited to talk to Max Wolf Friedrich, who is the playwright uh, for Job at Soho Playhouse. Ah, Job. But it's interesting. We do talk about in the interview the Job Job uh, interchangeability of that um, because it's it's a really fascinating conversation. Um, I've been excited about this play for a while. I already have my tickets. You can get them. It's a really strictly limited run, so September 6th through October 8th, and tickets are already on sale for Soho Playhouse in New York City. And it says it's 90 minutes, but it might be closer to like an hour 10. So who knows? Like it's it's going to be tight. It's a two person show again. The stars um, Sydney Lemon and Peter Friedman, mm, and um, I just yeah exactly like a two-person play, that amount of time, a young, awesome playwright. Um, It's a great conversation, so listen for that on the feed. But other than that, go ahead and book your tickets now because I already have. Wonderful. Cannot wait for that. Again, I, I... Every time anyone from the original cast of Ragtime gets mentioned, like... We did talk about that. <laughs> yeah, like the... I mean, that was my first trip to New York City. I, Ragtime was one of the shows I saw. And I like... I mean, I was already obviously a huge theater person because I was there on a drama club trip. But like that show just... I mean, that, that's a life-changing show. And to have, have seen Peter as Tatia in that show, just unforgettable and mesmerizing. So uh, I cannot wait to hear about this show, about this interview, and then obviously you seeing the show. And you can hear all about that before anybody else if you head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. Now, Grace, I thought about not doing the show today. I thought about sitting Shiva and uh, and, and wearing all black for like a month at least. But yesterday, the news that I was afraid of and yet completely anticipated and talked about anticipating here on the podcast – actually occurred as Once Upon a One More Time announced that it will play its final Broadway performance at the Cursed Marriott Marquis Theater on Sunday, September 3rd. Why do you call it the Cursed Marriott Marquis? It's cursed. It's. I mean, when was the last time that theater had a had a show run? It I mean, been... Beetlejuice had something. Right, but it didn't it didn't start there. It, sure. It yeah. started at the did it start at the at the Winter Garden? Yes. Uh, started at the Winter Garden and then moved there and then that that run, even at the marquee, had its own ups and downs because of all of the COVID-related stuff. But, like, think about this. Okay, so once upon a one more time, the Jonas Brothers doesn't count because that was, like, a five-day thing. But then Beetlejuice, which ran for, I guess, eight months, which is good. Then you had Tootsie. You had Margaritaville on your feet, which I guess ran for nearly two years. So, okay. But yeah, like, on your feet had a pretty significant run. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, looks like 21 months. So that's not bad. That's pretty good. But like the Jekyll and Hyde revival, the Evita revival, the Follies revival, Wonderland, Come Fly Away, Nine to Five, all of these shows. It's a Cry big house. Baby. It is a big house, and it's just the the foot traffic is very difficult there. It's a tough theater to see, and it's one of those things that feels like, and we'll get into the, the Once Upon One More Time of it all, but like it just feels like that's a house that shows take when they can't actually get the theaters that they want. We talked last week, Grace, about 
how important some of the decisions are when picking a theater. And that's why you thought that perhaps some of the theaters are still open because shows that we know that have concrete plans to come into town are waiting to see how some other shows end up and whether or not they can get in to theaters that they would prefer. And it almost just kind of feels like the marquee is the one that shows just come into because they have to and they don't have any other opportunities. It's hard to not see that. You know, I I don't want to co-sign and, and, you know, damn everything because I ultimately want every house filled. Right. But there's just no way to not feel that way. And, And like we discussed earlier, I just feel like because we are in such a financial climate that we are in as a country, not just like in the theatrical space. Right. No one can leave anything to chance. You know, there's there's a lot of data that's supporting the fact that like people that are coming from out of town, um, they're they're being really tight with their dollar. Even sure. even if they're making the journey into the city, they're being really strategic about how many shows they go see, what they can afford, rather than like when you kind of had those spur of the moment, fly by the seat of your pants, box office visits to say, what should we go see? You know, um, I think that. There's just there's just so much at play here. And I just hate that we've got another casualty on the street, to be frank. That's yeah. just ending. So because it does it's it's not genre based either. I mean, you had like Grey House, you had, you yeah. know, like really interesting, in-depth pieces of theater in the past couple of years. Like, you know, like there's just so many different pieces. I don't think that it's any one factor. I don't think you can quote blame any one thing. No. Um, absolutely. you know, we we saw these ads on social pumping it out from their their social team which is doing such a phenomenal job for the past couple of weeks Great. like it's just exactly you know we talked about how awesome it was that they released a music video of toxic and it was so hot it came up on my feet today and i watched the whole mm-hmm. thing like i was like yeah it's so it's such killer so yeah i don't think it's any one thing and i think everybody's trying to figure it out and we're all trying to work together but ultimately i I am sad for multiple reasons. I'm just going to throw this out there because I'm just in the middle of talking about it. But the fact that we never saw Ryan Redmond get to do this breaks my heart in half. Yeah. She suffered an injury being one of the stepsisters very early on in the run. I mean, every every billboard slash or what you know whatever art piece they had out of home like featured her on it and we never saw her in the show so that that really breaks my heart that she never got to ultimately do it she's still in the healing process so that's just one thing but the other part is just that like guarini kills in this show matt and i had such an amazing experience seeing him that i i just would have hoped that we could have had keoni amari uh choreograph even more numbers with him so maybe that's not the end of their their collaboration together but it makes me sad to see this one go yeah the show will close after 123 performances on broadway plans are currently underway for a national tour and multiple international productions those will all have dates to be announced you know what i the one thing i i am kind of comforted by grace is that i think this show will do well on tour and because aside from like some of the bigger names in the show, Justin, uh, Briga Heeland, Jen Samard, Adam Godley, I don't think they'll tour, but like I could see any of the rest of this, this cast potentially touring, maybe not Aisha Jackson or Lauren Zacharin, but I think it could be cool to see some of these folks who either originated roles, continue with the roles on tour, or maybe get bump, bumped up a role. Maybe people who were some of the princesses, but also covered some of the bigger roles might have a chance to do it on tour. That at least keeps my heart somewhat from breaking completely thinking that I might have an opportunity to see some of these folks in other roles in the future. But I did a a whole inner or a whole episode in the podcast feed a travelogue after I saw the show 
in my trip a couple of weeks ago, just talking about some of the things that I wish they had done slightly differently in the marketing and the casting. I, I love the show. That's why I went back and saw it a third time because I thought it was going to close. But ultimately, like you said, Grace, there's just so many things going on that it's pretty impossible to to pin it down to one thing. I think all successes and all failures are a culmination of many, many different, sometimes tiny, but sometimes large decisions. And it is really just about the chemistry and amalgamation of so many different things that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it just makes me really sad that this one did not. Can I just say that if, if you are correct in, in the whole cursing of it all, like that they need to leave behind the toxic photo op and just say that like whoever is next can have it like the the outside like yeah. take your photo in the in the little booth yeah, in the booth yeah 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 so i just i'll take that. lucky home uh but you guys can keep toxic and um i just hope that people are able to see this before september 3rd that they yes are. september 3rd i hope so too All right. That is sad. But we did have some actually some really fun, good news coming out of the opening of El Mago Pop on Broadway at the Barrymore Theater on Sunday night. We talked about it on yesterday's show. We're going to run through some of the reviews uh, today. But overall, they were all really, really positive. Uh, And I'm just going to this is not a, you know, a narrative show. It is a a magic and illusion show. So I'm not going to like dive into like the details, but I do want to read a few of the reviews, starting with Alexis Soloski writing for the New York Times, who said, quote, Diaz's best routine was performed alone to a Pepe Jacques Brel song. Breathlessly, Diaz manipulated a ball, a tribute to Cardini, who is a famous magician's classic billiard ball routine, many cards, even his own right shoe. His hands would be empty. His mouth would be empty. You would swear to it on any available Bible. Then they would be full cards raining through the floor. He sent a few cards whizzing through the air in a way that reminded me of Ricky Jay, the scholar and magician who died in 2018. I may have teared up a little. This was Diaz's simplest sequence and also his most beautiful. Who needs a helicopter when you can make magic like that? Adam Feldman from Time Out New York gave the show four out of five stars, writing, quote, If you can catch El Mago Pop during its too brief run, you will be well entertained. Between his more spectacular set pieces, the winsome Diaz, a compact cutie who is billed as Spain's top-selling artist of the past five years, proves his bona fides with dexterous ventures into card and ball manipulation. A few of the tricks will be familiar to Magic fans, but Diaz puts a clever spin on some of the more familiar routines. A standard torn newspaper bit is subsumed into a larger sequence that takes you aback, and a moment of quasi-levitation is birthed in elegant shadow play. Broadway hasn't hosted a Magic show since before the pandemic shutdown, and it's good to have some illusions again. For 75 delightful minutes, you may feel a little transported yourself. I'll wrap up with Tim Teeman, who's a little more mixed in those first two ones. He's writing for the Daily Beast and said, quote, Diaz's skills as an illusionist are faultless, but the show feels off kilter as a piece of theater. Diaz feels impressively in charge of his tricks, but not the show as a show. His audience interactions feel stilted and off. One little boy who was shepherded up on stage was lightly, not unpleasantly, but oddly, joshed with. Another amazing illusion required the participation of a female, specifically, Diaz said. But having watched the illusion, which really does have you rubbing your eyes in disbelief, this audience member was left thinking, that could have been a male. Why a female specifically? So I I think, Grace, this is it, it kind of might play a little bit into some of the stuff that you mentioned about the show yesterday, that Diaz 
is not a native English speaker and until earlier this year didn't speak English at all. So I think maybe some of the difficulty that he has when he does have to interact with the audience probably is explainable and understandable. But overall, it sounds like from an illusion and magic standpoint, this thing is absolutely lights out. Yeah, it's pretty airtight. Um, Again, like one thing about illusionists that a lot of people probably don't know is that like what you're seeing up there is sometimes 10 years in the making. Some of those tricks, there's there's nothing left to chance. Um, You're never going to see him like falter around like at this scale, you know? So I, I, I understand what they're saying, but I think that again, like a little bit of grace needs to be given towards the fact that like, perhaps what they're actually critiquing is familiarity within how a person is speaking and how they're communicating versus like a structural storytelling issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that if you were to like t- take in a step back and say like, oh, maybe I'm actually critiquing something else, which you never know is rooted in something else. But yeah, so I think, yeah, I- it was super fun. It's it's exactly what it says it is. So also El Mago Pop, just for everybody, means the pop magician um, in Spanish. So that's that is what El Mago Pop is like. He is El Mago Pop. He's the pop magician, Antonio Diaz. So if that's helpful. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And that explains why it is El Mago Pop and it has nothing to do with pop music. So I get it. Got yeah. it. I love it. Oh, but it, but it kind of, can I say this? It kind of does. There's a lot of pop music in the show. Okay. All right. And I know there's like yeah. some, some like comic booky superhero video related stuff in there as well, which... You know, I always love as well. All right. Well, let's get into some other news. Yesterday, our friends over at the Vineyard Theater announced their 2023-2024 season. They include both a New York premiere and a world premiere. Let's start with a show that will begin performances in October. It is a new play called Scene Partners. It is written by John J. Caswell Jr., who you might remember wrote the play Wet Brain, which, Grace, I think you either you or Ashley loved. I don't remember. Maybe both of you. I don't remember. I'm obsessed with him. I'm obsessed with that play. I could not. I'm so excited about this news. Okay, so the new play Scene Partners by John J. Caswell Jr. Not only will it star Academy Award winner Diane Wiest, but it'll be directed by Rachel Chavkin. The show will begin performances on October 26th with an opening night on November 12th. It is currently scheduled to run through December 3rd. It's winter, 1985, 75-year-old Merrill ditches ice-cold Milwaukee for sunny Los Angeles, hell-bent on becoming a movie star. She's got big dreams, a little money, and a whole lot of nerve. Love this. Absolutely love that. And then the next one is a show that I feel like we have heard a lot about over the, the last couple of years. Maybe there was some sort of virtual production, but like we've heard about this and I don't, I can't remember, I can't place exactly where, but it is a new play by Sarah Gancher called Russian Troll Farm, a workplace comedy, and it is being directed by one of our favorites, Darko Treznik. It is beginning performances on January 25th with an opening night on February 8th and running through March 3rd. Steve likes Masha, Masha likes Nikolai, and Igor just wants to win a microwave. It's another day at the office for the workers of St. Petersburg's infamous and real-life internet research agency whose job is manipulating social media to advance Russia's agenda at home and abroad. This is set in the lead-up, of course, to the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And it is a office comedy meets political satire. I don't know, Grace, if I am personally in the headspace yet for shows going through that whole election cycle. But if you're going to do it, I like I trust this team to do it. 
I mean, can we just shout out the fact that this is the second time that Darko is directing something where it takes place in St. Petersburg? I think that's hilarious. Like, oh, why aren't we doing the matchup with Anastasia and here? <laughs> where, why Why is uh, Derek Klenna not in this one? Oh, maybe he is. you heard in St. Petersburg? <laughs> yes, that, is, that would be his, his Petersburg. Yeah, very good. I love that. Good connection there, Grace. I love that. Um, all right, let's move on to a couple casting stories. Yesterday, the incomplete company of the upcoming Mrs. Doubtfire tour was announced. Joining the real-life husband and wife of Rob McClure and Maggie Lakis on the tour will be Giselle Gutierrez, who will play their daughter, Lydia Hillard. Aaron Kaburik, who is playing Frank Hillard, that is the Brad Oscar role from the Broadway production. And Aaron was a, a member of the original Broadway cast, so I would imagine that he m- might have covered this role. Um, Nick Alexander is playing Andre. Leo Roberts is playing Stuart. Ramelda Teron Benjamin is playing Wanda. And then there are a couple kids alternating as Christopher Hillard and Natalie Hillard. We have the complete ensemble in the, in the uh, show notes as well. The show will begin performances at the end of September, September uh, 24th through the 30th at Shays Pack in Buffalo, New York. Then heading back to New York City, yesterday we got a list of 20 Broadway shows that are going to perform at this year's Curtain Up Live from Broadway concert. This will take place in Times Square on September 10th. Uh, It'll begin at 11 a.m. and will run through 12.30 p.m. in Duffy Square. The shows participating are... And Juliet, A Beautiful Noise, Aladdin, Back to the Future, The Book of Mormon, Chicago, The Cottage, Hadestown, Harmony, How to Dance in Ohio, Yaya's African Hair Braiding, Kimberly Akimbo, The Lion King, Moulin Rouge, The Shark is Broken, Shucked, Six, Some Like It Hot, Spamalot, Wicked, and more to be announced. So very cool. Always a fun event. Love seeing the videos of this after it happens. Of course, this is a three-day-long festival that'll begin performances on the 8th through the 10th. Grace, some of those shows in there are yours. Uh, do you have any insight as to what's going on for uh, for, for this for this Curtain Up festival? I don't. Um, I know it's an exciting time. I'm thrilled that it's happening. I can't wait to see what else is happening. I can't <laughs> wait to find out. Okay, very good. Um, something else that I can't wait to hear about, yesterday it was announced that six creators, Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss's new musical, Why Am I So Single, will have a ticketed workshop presentation in London from September 6th through the 10th. This musical focuses on two perpetually single friends who can't figure out why they're single or what to write their new musical about, which is maybe a little on point. But Grace, I don't remember when this was. This has to have been like two years ago or something at this point. But we saw them do a ton of these songs in their concert at 54 Below, and they were hilarious. They were great. Like, I left that concert thinking, like... Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. We were I, like, I, hey, when is that show happening? Right. Because I, I, I think it's easy to dismiss people who have, like, one hit show... And it's like this pop, really fun thing. And you're like, okay, but what do they do next? And there's a lot of teams that just don't do anything next. These two have the talent and the score, because we've heard so much of it, to like really have another hit on their hands. They're super talented. Um, And the other thing is like everybody, like they're so young. Like they have their whole lives ahead of them. And the fact that they have really struck it early, I think it's only up from there because there's trust. And so... You know, there's there's tons of of musical theater writers, especially out there that I'm sure if given the little like money and opportunity, they we could also like discover somebody quite early. But this one, just the timing was right through Edinburgh and the West End and now to where we have the ability to trust them to say like, yep, they know how to crank it out. And so I'm excited for wherever it takes. 
makes them. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap up with a feel-good recommendation. And the upcoming Broadway musical Harmony has released a second single. This one is called Every Single Day, and it is sung by Danny Kornfeld. This uh, song was at first an exclusive release for Variety, then it popped up in other places. The songwriters in a statement, Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman, said, quote, We are both so thrilled to have a cast album full of new, original songs for our first Broadway show. This is where we always wanted to be. Every single day, the love song from Harmony is a personal favorite of ours from the score. Grace, like you like you mentioned the other day, Harmony, going into the Barrymore Theater, it is a show that has been a long time in the making and a show that has played in California like over a decade ago. It played off-Broadway and has kind of bided its time before it comes to the main stem. Performances will begin on October 18th with an opening night of November 23rd. It actually was 25 years ago, 1998, when the show premiered in California, which is just bonkers. Chip Zion, Sierra Bagas, Julie Benko will lead the cast. The comedian harmonists who portrayed those roles off-Broadway will be returning to it. So excited about this one. The song is great. Really looking forward to seeing what this is all about. I'm not going to be in town when performances are going on in the fall, so I'm, but I'm assuming I will be able to check it out in the spring because I feel like this one has a has a pretty good chance to run for a while, Grace. Yeah. And it's also just like, it's not only is it so, it's a beautiful story that I think a lot of people might not realize is a true story. Um, so there's a lot of history there, but also the group of dudes, like I know you talked about how, I, I mean, it's an incredible like principal, like women yeah. and, and Chip and everything, but like the guys, like the harmonists and everyone else, like they are fierce and kind and like they are such a tight group of dudes. You can tell like already that they are just such a team and I'm excited to see they honestly they're the new boy brand of Broadway. Like let's talk about it. There's there's all these boy brands on Broadway and I'm like, you know who else? The Harmonists. I'm I'm ready for their their vibe. Yeah. <laughs> are you saying are you saying boy bands or boy brands? Cuz I Boy band. I, I okay. think that they're the new boy band. It's just a okay. throwback a couple of years. I love it. Let's do it. All right, everybody. That's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and basically anywhere else at BWW. Matt Grace, where can people find you? On all forms of social media for the time being at It's Grace Hockey. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Listen to Grace's interview about job in the podcast feeds later today, and we will be back to talk to you tomorrow.